Well, we got a lot of things going on. I'm going to introduce you to a fine fellow that uh, I think we interviewed, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I can't believe it took so long to have him back on. His name is Jeffrey Smith. He's authored a couple of bestsellers. Years ago, 2003, uh, Seeds of Deception. He's directed films. He's lectured thousands of lectures, interviews all over the world, all over the country. It's all about uh, GMOs. We call them GMOs here. And his website is, uh, is uh, uh, protectnaturenow.com. Did I get that right? Jeffrey Smith, hi there. Boy, it's good to see you. Hi. Good to see you again. It's been a long time. Patrick. It has. And you're looking good. You're not eating any GMO food, so you're looking pretty good that's, there. That's my secret. <laughs> <laughs> wow. 2003. How did, I know it's a dumb question to start, but I am curious, really. I really have better questions, but what was going on in 2003 as far as uh, GMOs, Jeffrey? I mean, what was happening then? I mean, that's what, almost 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, 25. Um, well, 20 years 20 ago. Years yeah, ago what yeah. happened was the, um, at the time, I started working on GMOs in 1996, 25 years ago. Wow. And then um, uh, what happened was a lot of the nonprofit groups were focusing on environmental problems and on patenting and on farmers' rights, but no one was really talking about the health dangers. Hmm. In fact, I tried to convince them to use that as a primary messaging strategy, and I got nowhere. So I realized that we weren't, we weren't engaging consumers and consumer choice, and that was gonna drive the marketplace. Hmm. And so I wrote a book exposing the health dangers of GMOs, and then traveled to 45 countries and helped build a movement around that particular set of messages, and it worked. Now we, we now have 51% of U.S. citizens correctly believing that GM foods are not safe or for health, hmm. and 48% of the global population, same way. And so we are now seeing the tipping point, which was something we had been working for for 25 years, of food companies eliminating GMOs to meet consumer demand. And as we'll talk about today, there are new GMOs that require a new strategy because if we don't stop it, it is an existential threat that can damage us way beyond our imagination. So back in 95, I mean, it was just like at the beginning of the internet. Where did you find all this information? Well, I went to a lecture in 96 by a genetic engineer mm -hmm. who blew the whistle. He basically said that this stuff is not ready for prime time. Based on his award-winning research uh, through the NIH and others, he was aware that the process of genetic engineering is prone to side effects and was completely uncontrollable at a molecular level. And so genetically engineering food could easily create allergens or toxins or changes in the nutritional profile. And that once you release the GMOs into the environment, they would cross breed and they would propagate in the gene pool forever. So it was exposing all those who eat and all ecosystems to a technology prone to side effects. And so this was the year that they were about to commercialize GMO soy. 
and I decided to jump on board and help out a little. So talk to us about, talk to us as we're a young child or a golden retriever. That's like how we like to do it around here because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Um, so back then when they wanted to, to, to jimmy up, juice up these soybeans, what exactly do they do to them? What exactly did they so, want to do, do to them? Okay, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the uh, the real simple and fun story. That's what we like. Yeah. Okay, so there was a chemical waste dump where they they got rid of Roundup herbicide, and Roundup herbicide was Monsanto's herbicide that kills plants. So they dumped it into this uh, chemical waste dump, but they found that certain bacteria were not being killed off in the chemical waste dump. Usually Roundup, its chief poison glyphosate, is an antibiotic and it wipes out lots of, of bacteria. But there was a strain of bacteria that was surviving. So the scientists thought, oh, let's put it in the food supply. Let's take this bacteria that doesn't die when in the presence of glyphosate take out the gene that allows it to survive and put it into soybeans. Now we can spray the field of soybeans and not kill the soybeans, but only kill all of the other plant matter, which we call weeds. So they took the gene from the bacteria, put it into the soybeans, and now the soybeans are called Roundup Ready. And the way that they put the gene in is they put it into a gene gun and shot the gene gun. Millions of, of, of genes were coating millions of particles of gold or tungsten and blasted into a plate of millions of cells and then cloned that cell into soybean plants and then started building lots and lots of soybean plants. And now they're in millions of acres and we're spraying those millions of acres with Roundup herbicide. And it turns out that both the process of genetic engineering and the Roundup herbicide are dangerous for health. Oh, so it's a, it's a double whammy because you got the, the Roundup that gets all soaked into the soybean and get into the soy milk or whatever. And then, and then this, this, this enzyme or this bacteria that lived, that's what they used to put in the soybean so it wouldn't die, right? So yes. why does that... I mean, if, if, that, if that enzyme doesn't kill the soybean, why does it hurt us if we eat the soybean? Well, there's a few things. The process of genetic engineering creates massive collateral damage in the DNA. Hundreds or thousands of mutations can occur up and down the genome of the soy. They found that it did not function the way they intended. It produced multiple copies of RNA. They ended up inserting fragments of this new gene. They had mutations up and down. Any of those can change the gene expression. When genes express, it means they create proteins. Those proteins are usually orchestrated by the needs of the cell. But what happens when you put in the foreign gene or when you create mutations, you change that intelligent balance and now, for example, there are, there's a new allergen in soy that was never intended or a, a level of allergen that's much, much higher that doesn't break down because of cooking 
That was unintended. You have higher levels of anti-nutrients in the soy. You have lower levels of protein. You have all these different things that occur as the result of the process of genetic engineering. On top of that, you have saturated the soybean with the Roundup. The Roundup chief poison glyphosate is driven into the plant. It ends up inside the soybeans, so you can't wash them off. And that toxin is implicated in more than 30 diseases, including cancer. So whether it's the problems with the genetic engineering or the problems with the the um, roundup it is as you say a double whammy so so soy was the first one jeffrey smith that they did soy so, and corn corn soy and corn and then, then cotton and canola soy corn cotton and canola are the with the form within two years and that same principle sir happens with all these corn cotton canola the same idea soaks into the corn soaks into the cotton soaks and screws up and then and then the corn even makes different dna expressions proteins that makes the corn allergic to us too to animals what happens with corn yeah corn is interesting you see you can you can create two different types of corn one that is resistant to being sprayed by herbicide and one that creates an insecticide. They can do that with soy too. In fact, in South America, they have soybeans that do both. And in most of the corn in the United States, the corn does both. It's sprayed with Roundup or another toxin, and it doesn't die. And it produces an insecticide that is known to kill certain insects by breaking open holes in their guts. And we have found that the that that toxin can break holes, similar holes in human cells when it's when it's applied in high concentrations in laboratories, and that humans have allergic reactions to it, and also become more sensitized to formerly harmless uh, proteins. Yes, yeah, so, so we could get this classic leaky gut. It goes, the particles leak through, gets in the bloodstream. And then we could get allergic to God knows what, right? So let me let me back that up okay. by saying this. There's a Alessio Fasano, who's a Harvard uh, professor with very very famous credentials. He's he's an amazing guy. He wrote an article recently that said all disease begins in the leaky gut. All disease, and and leaky gut is when the one cell thick membrane that protects our intestines is somehow violated. There's leaky gut between the cells and there's holes within the cells. And that that process, if you get leaky gut, it can lead to inflammation, autoimmune disease, allergies, promotes cancer, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, essentially all diseases if you believe a Harvard professor. Now, Roundup glyphosate causes leaky gut in a petri dish, you put human cells there, you put a little glyphosate, the cells separate. That's leaky gut between the cells. The toxic insecticide produced by the corn in our diet creates holes inside the cells. That's a different type of leaky gut, but both can lead to all of these different diseases. But you're absolutely right. Wow, man. So, so what does, what does, genetically 
modified corn due to the guts of the cows that they give this stuff to? It's an interesting question. Um, the cow's gut is very different than the human gut. And I've talked to some large animal veterinarians about what the shape of the animals were, their health, right after GMOs were introduced. And one person said that the normally healthy gut bacteria went out of balance and there was something called Clostridium A hmm. became toxic and, and overgrown. So he had to create a kind of a yogurt to give to his cows. He also said that he looked, he did autopsies and found that the livers of these cows looked like a bomb went off in it. Oh. I talked to a um, farmer and his wife, they do their own butchering. And she said, looking inside the carcass of an animal that's been fed GMOs, it stinks, it's discolored. It's, she said she would never feed it anything from a GMO fed cow to her children because she's seen the difference. Wow. She smelled the difference and that they actually look like they're 10 or 15 years older than they are. So we've also seen um, problems with uh, the fact that glyphosate kills beneficial bacteria in the gut, but not the nasty stuff. So it doesn't kill the botulism producing uh, bacteria, but it kills the beneficial bacteria that keeps the botulism producing bacteria uh, suppressed. So we've seen a massive amount of chronic botulism in the dairy cows in the United States and around the world. And we believe, scientists believe, that some of the milk carries that botulism, which is related to sudden infant death syndrome and other problems in humans. And uh, so we've seen, we can show that when you apply glyphosate into a Petri dish, the botulism toxin increases dramatically. But so too do all these other um, negative pathogens in the gut. But it's not just in the cows. They did a study with a human gut model and they fed it human microbiome and fed it food for three weeks. And then they put in Roundup and the changes were dramatic and very negative in the gut bacteria that were precursors to a long list of diseases. So if we eat foods with Roundup sprayed on them, then we could be creating all sorts of diseases, not only by getting leaky gut, but by changing the balance of our gut bacteria. Can something be labeled non-GMO if they spray Roundup on it? I guess it could if it wasn't genetically modified, right? But that's right. In it's fact, not organic. Wow. Well, they wouldn't. It can't be organic. Can't be, it can organic. be right. sprayed with organic, but it can be non-GMO. So, for example, uh, they use Roundup on wheat and barley and oats and mung beans and lentils. Just to dry and it out. Basically, the beans right. to dry it to out. Dry it out before the harvest. Yeah. Wow. It's a desiccant. It also, at the same time, kills the weeds for next year. So it, the farmers love using it, but. The, the, they get so much glyphosate because they spray just before harvest. So the glyphosate moves to the fast growing parts of the, of the plant, which is the food. And so the oats, for example, have more glyphosate than Roundup Ready soybeans. Hmm. We're talking with Jeffrey Smith. We're live here. ProtectNatureNow.com is the best website to check out his work. 
uh, protectnaturenow.com if you'd like to be on the show. Our, our phone lines are out because of all the rain, but you can email Patrick at oneradionetwork.com. Is there any evidence, Mr. Smith, to the idea that if we eat <clears throat> conventional beef or chicken or lamb that have eaten GMO corn or canola or whatever, that we get that into our body too? Do we know, is, do, is, it, is it science to show that? Well, we have theoretical science and we have uh, clinical experience, but we don't have a lot of research to show the exact line of the causative pathway. So um, Gerald Geist, who was the director of the Center for Veterinary Medicine of the FDA, was one of the scientists at the, at the Food and Drug Administration who weighed in on how to regulate GMOs. Mm -hmm. And they all said this stuff is dangerous and needs, needs to be tested. And they were all ignored because the person in charge of policy was a, a political appointee who was Monsanto's former attorney and later Monsanto's vice president, Michael Taylor. So he ignored all the warnings, but we now have, because of a lawsuit, those memos. And, and Gerald Guest said that the milk and meat from animals that were fed GMOs carry unique risks. Now we know something that called bioaccumulation. We know that for every bite that the animal chews, a toxin might be accumulated in their system so that if we eat the animal or drink its milk, we might get a higher concentration of that toxin than the mouthful that the cow had. Mm -hmm. And we do know that glyphosate does accumulate in the bone and in some of the tissues. Most of it goes out through the urine because it's water soluble, but some does get accumulated and there's research evidence that it ends up in milk as well. Now, I know people who are very, very sensitive, the chemical sensitive type, and they can't eat uh, GMOs or, or they react, they can't eat things sprayed with Roundup or they react, and some of them cannot eat meat or eggs or milk from animals that have eaten GMOs because they have an immediate reaction, even if they didn't know that the animal hmm. had been fed that feed. Sometimes they're told, oh, it's a non-GMO, naturally raised organic uh, lamb chop or pork chop, and the person will get a reaction and then find out it wasn't. Or I had experience being told secondhand by a farmer, he knew a family that had their own chickens and they'd have eggs every single morning. And one morning, his wife and his daughter had to be rushed to the hospital because of an anaphylactic shock reaction. He contacted the feed uh, supplier for his chicken feed and found out that just that day he had shipped some regular feed because he couldn't get the organic non-GMO stuff and didn't tell the family. Wow. So we have, we have this experiential evidence, we have the theoretical evidence, and then we also know that the animal's nerve, um, physiology is significantly changed when they take GMOs. Their amount of minerals is reduced because glyphosate grabs the minerals and makes it unavailable. They have damages throughout their system. And there was a peer-reviewed published study uh, that determined that the animals that ate GMOs were physiologically dip different than the animals that ate non-GMOs and should be considered different in terms of a wow. test subject. 
you know, it's really fun these days. Even in Dripping Springs Farmer's Market, you can get eggs and they feed them organic, non-GMO and soy-free grain. I mean, some people are really into it. You know, I mean, you can get some really good eggs, you know, that's what's fun. You know, it's like the awareness. Wow. And you started that, brother. You were on top of that one. Man. Well, I was one of them. I was one of them. <laughs> and there's just a few of us that have been around as long as I have. Some some of, that were there before me who are still pushing it. Um, and right now, we're looking at, I mean, you're, we're directing people to protectnaturenow.com in this mm-hmm. broadcast. And when you get there, you're not going to necessarily find this information about glyphosate right there. You have to go to the homepage from there, which is part of our Institute for Responsible Technology. We're directing people to a new existential threat from genetically engineered microbes. I don't know when you want to get into that, but that's that makes the problems that we've seen pale by comparison. Okay, great. Just when you think it's safe to go into the water, right? And then, <laughs> yeah, we'll get into genetically. These, these guys, these beaker boys, we call them the beaker boys, you get them around the lab with a lab coat, and man, they'll just... You know, you never know what they're going to do, right? I mean, they're just like out of control. What, what are you guys thinking? Well, I don't, I don't disparage scientists for being scientists. Huh. Um, but just because you can do something doesn't mean that you, <laughs> you should. should. <laughs> I mean, for example, uh, in this short film, I have five films out, and the most recent one is the shortest. It's just 16 minutes. What's the name uh, of it? The last film, What's see, it's called Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle. Yeah. And it's at protectnaturenow.com. It's free. Okay. And within within 30 seconds, I introduce one of those examples of just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, there was a there's a avian flu virus called H5N1. Yes. And only several hundred people in the world have ever gotten it, but at the at, as of a certain period period of time more than half of the people that got it died, 52%. So the death rate was off the charts. But it was very hard to get because all these people had been hanging around birds for a long time before they got infected. So some genetic engineers decided to change the H5N1 virus and make it airborne. Now, if you think about this... (laughs) Oh, good. Great idea. Let's do that. Let's do that. After lunch. We'll do that after lunch. It'll be good. Right. It's like the death rate from from the pandemic that we're dealing with now, some describe it as over 2%, some describe it as well under 1%. Right. This was 52%. So if that actually got out, if it escaped, it could decimate the world's population if it were easily transmissible. And it was such a shock that the Obama administration decided, okay, we shouldn't be funding this type of research. But then the Trump administration says it's okay. And now we've had the pandemic. And one of the things that Protect Nature Now campaign is doing is saying, wait a minute, there's been hundreds and hundreds of accidents at these high security labs causing releases and infections. Let's not tempt fate. Now that we understand in our generation all of the implications of a pandemic, let's not genetically enhance pathogens, which if they were released, would cause pandemics. But that's not all, as we'll see. It's not just the potentially pandemic pathogens that we're worried about. 
Hmm. So uh, let's go back a little bit to the GMO thing, and then we're going to get to more biological or whatever. Um, so we, right now we have soy. So tell us again. So the big guys that are being GMO'd are soy and cotton and... Uh, so here's the list. Can canola, right? Canola. Soy, soy, corn, cotton, canola, sugar beets, and alfalfa. Those ah. six are major commodities. Most of the sugar in the United States comes from genetically engineered sugar beets. Yes. The alfalfa is used to feed dairy cows. All of those are actually used for animal feed. So those six are the major ones, and then there's six minor ones. Uh, there's um, some zucchini and yellow squash. There's papaya from Hawaii. There's apples and potatoes that don't turn brown when they're sliced. And then there's a pink uh, pineapple. And we were just heard from Aqua Bounty that they're about to send out soon their genetically engineered salmon oh, to restaurants and food services that won't be labeled. Oh, I, I want some of those. Yeah, give me give me the one. Holy cow. What are they doing to the salmon? Do they think they can live longer or get bigger or something? It's actually they live shorter. <laughs> what they do. You know, they're livestock. They're commodities. We don't pay attention to no. what, how they live. Don't we worry just about want that to stuff. eat them. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so what they do is they put a gene, actually more than one piece of gene, into the salmon mm -hmm. that causes it to produce growth hormone 24-7 around the clock, around the year. Normally, salmon's growth hormone gets shut off during part of the year. These salmon continue to grow fast so that supposedly they grow large enough to go to market before natural salmon. Okay. Now, what happens is that this process, there's things that are are changed in the salmon, which are dangerous. And there's things that are changed in the salmon that could change the nature of nature, the environment. We'll start there. There was a similar salmon to the one that's about to be in our food supply that was engineered by Canadian scientists and tested. They put the genetically engineered salmon into tanks with other genetically engineered salmon or with natural salmon. When there was sufficient food, everything was fine. When the food levels were reduced, these genetically engineered frankenfish freaked. Hmm. Remember, they're growing fast, and they are voraciously hungry. And so they became voraciously aggressive, killing and eating their neighbors, causing population crashes or full extinctions in every one of the tanks. And now, if imagine if the, if the genetically engineered version gets out into the ocean, it could cause potentially a catastrophic collapse of salmon or other types of fish that the salmon would kill and eat. Then in the skin of the salmon, in the tissues, they found higher levels of, of IGF-1, which is a cancer-related hormone. They found uh, a higher level of reactivity by those who were allergic, but they used only six fish so that they couldn't get a statistical significance, even when in some cases there was a 50% increase, which was disastrous science, but they're using this disastrous science as a pretext to expose the entire population without labeling the stuff in restaurants. So, 
someone can walk away after eating a salmon meal have no idea. and have an allergic reaction and will never know that it was the genetically engineered salmon. So this will all be farm-raised, Jeffrey Smith, right? Farm-raised salmon, so they can theoretically keep them contained. But if they get out there and start making babies with other salmons or whatever they do, not good, right? Well, the GMO salmon is supposedly going to be raised in inland tanks. Um, but the thing is, once you create these eggs and start selling them, who knows? there's interest all over because those that have farm pens in the ocean, they would want to spend less on feed to get their, their farm-raised salmon to market soon. And there can be as much as 2 million fish accidentally being released per year in the North Atlantic because of these farm pens breaking and storms breaking. So it's not a secure situation in the farm-raised pens. So uh, w would there be a danger of buying this salmon, say, at the, at the Kroger or the Safeway without being labeled as well? I can understand the restaurants because they don't have it on their, la on their menu, right? I mean, it's not good, but... There is, a, there is a law that the retail establishments have to label it Oh. It doesn't mean that it's going to be abided by. And if it goes out to restaurants and ends up in a retail establishment, it might have bypassed that. But there was a law passed to label the salmon. Um, by It was introduced by some members of Congress from Alaska because they were concerned that it was going to destroy the Alaskan salmon industry. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get too far afield, but I saw actually at our HEB, we have 600 stores in Texas, they actually have a salmon in the case and they call it organic salmon. How is that even, and it's not farm-raised. How is that even possible? Well, there are ways to create organic salmon that are raised in farms that look different. Huh. They don't feed them soy-based, soy, GM soy-based pellets. They have a certain amount, they have certain requirements that are supposed to be sustainable and humane, so they can call them organic rather than simply wild-caught. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know the specific details on that one. all of the way we have that, but I do know that they exist. Uh, Jeffrey Smith is with us, protectnaturenow.com. Uh, here's an email for you. Aren't the new GMO foods diabolically more sophisticated than the ones 20 years ago? Well, there's a new genetic engineering toolkit. And in the past, as I described, you can take a gene gun and shoot uh, millions of pellets, of, co of gene-coated pellets into a plate of cells or use a bacteria to infect those cells. And then you don't know exactly where your foreign gene ends up. Now they use something called gene editing. And gene editing equips the cell with a scissors and a guide. The guide tells the scissors where to cut and so it's, it cuts the gene to disable it, or you add extra genetic elements so that it, it puts it into the cut before the cellular repair mechanism patches it together. Now, what's diabolical here, Patrick, is that the biotech industry has convinced governments that gene editing is safe and predictable, and that it's not even creating GMOs. Unfortunately, it is extremely dangerous it creates widespread damage through the DNA, just like the earlier versions. You can have foreign DNA stuck into those repairs from the 
petri dish. You can have, there were cows with bacterial DNA, mice with goat DNA. There can be hundreds or thousands of mutations, and these can create serious problems. But they're not reviewed at all by the governments. Most governments turn a blind eye because they believe the biotech industry. So the United States government, for example, told the maker of a gene-edited mushroom that was used so that you don't doesn't turn brown when it's cut, <laughs> said, we don't have any review. You don't have to tell us anything about it. The USDA said, it's not in our wheelhouse. The FDA has only a voluntary consultation process, so it ignored it. The EPA, it's not in their jurisdiction. So it's one of many gene-edited organisms that go that you don't have to tell the government and you don't have to tell consumers. And it used this knockout method. So the gene edit was to cut a gene to knock out the gene that causes the browning when the mushroom gets sliced. And they never checked to see if the sequence that they were desiring was actually produced. They just found that there was no browning and they left it at that. Years later, someone did check out this knockout technology and found out that it doesn't work about one third of the time. And in those times, sometimes the, the protein that gets produced in this supposedly knocked out gene has a different structure. It's shorter, it's truncated, which can create allergens or toxins or be deadly. None of that was evaluated by the FDA and it wasn't even evaluated by the company. So in that sense, the gene editing is extremely dangerous hmm. and it's based on, it's, it's not being looked at. Uh, Jeffrey Smith is with us. Let's go back to the, you had mentioned alfalfa. So can I assume then, if I just buy grass-fed meat, that's just the label, grass-fed beef, right? And in Texas, sometimes we go through droughts, they don't have grass, and what do they do? they haul in alfalfa. And if it's not organic, just because it says grass-fed beef doesn't mean anything. It could be, it could be jamoed, right? Boom. In, in fact, it's true, and I recommend to people who eat the grass-fed beef to contact their producer and ask them if they can be sure that the grass doesn't include alfalfa. And if they say it doesn't, encourage them to put that on the label. Hmm. Grass-fed beef, no GMO alfalfa, hmm. so that it forces other grass-fed producers to do the same. Are you talking now, about the dried organic, alfalfa, excuse me, or, or just uh, alfalfa in the fields? Here's the thing. If you're growing alfalfa to harvest and feed to animals, which happens, for example, to dairy cows, sure. it happened to horses, um, then you may get the Roundup ready alfalfa, which means you can spray Roundup and kill all of the other plants and just your alfalfa will grow. Now, typically when you feed animals, you don't wanna just give alfalfa because it, that alone isn't really great for the animal, you wanna mix. Well, a lot of people that grow alfalfa will grow it in a mix and there's no need to spray it with Roundup because you're growing a mix. But those that do grow just alfalfa may use the Roundup Ready and they may sell it as dried alfalfa or allow grazing there. So I like your idea about contacting your supplier who you get your grass fed or even grass finished 
and just make sure they're they're cool, right? Just make sure they're not giving you GMO alfalfa. So you want them to start putting that on the label, right? Oh yeah. See, the, to me, I'm all about using consumer-driven demands. Yes, sir. To change the marketplace, because let's say most of the of the GM, most of the grass-fed beef or animal animal products don't use GMO alfalfa, which I think is true. If they all put that on there, then as a discriminating consumer, you would just go for those that said mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And so the company that's using GMO alfalfa will have to stop in order to put that on their label. So I really think this is a form of, of altruistic and self-focused um, activism. It will be beneficial to you to know if your grass-fed animals, animal products are are free of GMO alfalfa, and then ask them to put it on the package so that everyone can know that. Sure, sure. So even if you go out and you find sources for, I don't know, like I have raw goat's milk or something, you know, you really got to know what they're feeding them, right? I mean, oh, yeah. You really really do. Yeah. Here's an email. Totally. And, and, and go ahead. No, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, well, okay, this is um, from uh, Brett wants to know, so if I just get regular oranges, I like orange juice, and I can't find organic, does that mean that they could have glyphosate and stuff sprayed on them that comes through the orange juice? So with, hmm. these are good questions. Um, the orchards, the, the ground cover is sprayed with Roundup, but it seeps into the ground and gets into the roots and then gets into the plants and gets into the fruit. Uh -huh. So um, if you want to know which products contain glyphosate and orange juice does, you can go to our website and you can go to Protect Nature Now, but then hit the home button, you know, like hit the, okay. you're really going to end up, at, you're going to end up at responsibletechnology.org. From there, you can get a report. We have compiled all the different, our own research and others' research on all these different foods to see what levels of glyphosate residues are there when it's tested. So you can look at all these raw ingredients, oh, all cool. the fruits and vegetables, grains, plus actual brand names, you know, the Quaker Oats cereals and this things and that, the hummuses and whatnot. Hummus is, all, is full of glyphosate. So you will see that orange juice typically has glyphosate in it and that the organic varieties typically have either no detectable levels or very small amounts. Now, why would it have small amounts? Glyphosate or Roundup is the most commonly sprayed agricultural chemical in history. It's sprayed so often, it's in the air. It's in the rain. Wow. It's in water supplies. So if you have an organic farm and you're getting rained on, which is usually a good thing, you might be getting glyphosate contamination. If you use um, bird poop as, as a uh, uh, manure, that may have glyphosate contamination. So you have to make sure the source of your compost. Wow. Um, whew, man, holy cow. So, OJ, you got to do organic, right? It, you just got to do it. No. You know, in my earlier film, Secret Ingredients, which is available at secretingredientsmovie.com, uh, I visit with a, with a film crew, these families that switch to organic. Two boys are no longer on the autism spectrum. A chiropractor has treated 
nearly 100 uh, infertile couples that now have children. Just an organic. People that have. Organic. Yeah, switch to organic. Switch to organic. People got rid of brain fog and were able to handle their cancer diagnosis more quickly without the side effects of their treatments. People, um, digestive issues cleared up, skin conditions. I mean, dramatic changes. And in some cases, they had tried everything else. They were already gluten-free and this thing and this thing and this thing. But they were still managing diseases. There's one family, a family of five. They had 21 chronic conditions between the five people. They managed it. She became a, a nutritionist, a nutritional expert, and was experimenting on the family. And things were getting better. But only when she switched to organic did they eliminate the chronic conditions. Fascinating. Wow. So these little glyphos, man, this is no telling what they're doing to your gut, right? I mean, just not happy. It's just. Oh, not, I can tell you. Oh, you I can, can tell, tell you something. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> it's not I good. Mean, it's, it's not good. It damages the mitochondria, which can lead to sorts of diseases and cancer and quick aging. It grabs the minerals, making them unavailable, which can shut down metabolic pathways. Um, it can block the production of serotonin, melatonin, and dopamine. It can mess up your hormonal structure. Um, it can damage the structure of your DNA, which can lead to cancer. It blocks the ability for cells to communicate with each other that can lead to cancer. It can create leaky gut, which leads to cancer and so many other things. It can mess up the gut bacteria, which leads to a long list of diseases, and it creates birth defects, and some of its impacts on next generation will actually be worse on the great-grandchildren because of the epigenetic effects that were found in a mouse study. Wow, so how's you that? can tell me, yeah, how's that? Can I just ask Jeffrey <laughs> Smith, he'll tell you how bad this stuff is. So what's up with canola? This is from Carol, she wants to know, so I like a salad dressing and it says organic canola. Can I, is that okay? Does that mean that it's a really organic? All right, here's an interesting thing about canola. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tough one. I'm, well, I can't tell you conclusively because I'm, it's above my pay grade to go into all the nutritional qualities of canola. Sure. I can say this. There was a, a, a crop called oilseed rape. It was not named by a marketing expert, but it was, it's called rapeseed or oilseed rape. Not a good and name. It was, grown, good name. No, no. it was grown throughout Canada and it was used as an industrial oil, mm -hmm. um, but because it had a toxin in it and what they did is they exposed the seeds to radiation, caused mutations, and found some seeds that produced less of this toxin, urusic uh, acid, and less of another toxin. And they then gave it to uh, Canadians and called it canola. So they made it. They made the name canola, Canadian oil, and then they applied for approval in the United States. And the committee, I'm told, had 13 people on it. And six of them said it's not fit for human consumption. And seven said it was. And so the majority allowed it to be sold in the United States. Now, the organic variety does not contain GMOs, but it does come from this radiation applied seeds to create mutations. Now, here's the kicker. I interviewed for my book, Seeds of Deception, a former president of a medical, medical university, and he was investigating the toxic oil syndrome that killed 1,000 people and caused 20,000 to fall sick in Spain. And he said, basically, 
it was canola and aspirin. If you look at the, at the structure of this toxic oil. And he took a look at the human organs of the, of the people that died and found that the changes in them were similar to the animal changes of the animals that were fed canola. And he said, I wouldn't put canola in my mouth because I don't think it's safe. And I said, can I quote you on that? And he said, no, I don't want to be driven off the road at night. He said, I want to protect my life. <laughs> don't do, don't do, don't do. Whoa. Now, I don't know if this, sure. I don't know if this man's data is accurate. I don't want to say that all canola is bad. I've spoken to uh, people that say they won't eat canola even if it's organic because of the nature of the substances. Other people say it's good. So I'm just passing on information and yes, allowing sir. people to make their own. But if you eat the non-GMO, excuse me, the non-organic canola, 95% of it has been genetically engineered to withstand spraying of at least two toxic herbicides, glyphosate and glufosinate, and I strongly recommend that you don't tweak that. Now, canola, the seeds are so small, they blow in the wind and they contaminate the organic and non-GMO fields. So that organic canola growers tried to file a class action against the GMO seed companies because they had to stop growing it because they were contaminated. But the judge said, we're not gonna allow a class action. And so they couldn't go forward. Couldn't go forward. So even, hmm. even organic canola might be contaminated. Yeah. Who was the fellow, I think we talked to him years ago, Mr. Smith, uh, Percy Smythe or something. Didn't he sue? Did he win that one? And because they were, they were yeah, contaminating so, his fields. Oh, Percy, I remember him long years ago. I talked yeah, to him. So, by the way, call me Jeffrey. Patrick. Okay. This is, right. We know each other a long time. Okay. All right. um, yeah. So Percy passed away oh. last year, just a few days after a Hollywood uh, film about him had a preview with Christopher Walken playing Percy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 Now, on our site at responsibletechnology.org, I created a Percy page. Oh. And I included... An interview, I just did this recently, I included an interview with him that I conducted in 2005 where he describes some of the incredible ways that Monsanto treated him during these trials and including a guy who was about to die from liver cancer or some liver problem came up to Percy and admitted to him that allegedly that's what I have to say to be in touch with my inner attorney. Allegedly, <laughs> Monsanto uh, gave the guy thousands of dollars worth of free chemicals, probably 20,000, in order to perjure himself on the stand. And he admitted that he had lied under oath wow. in exchange for the chemicals from Monsanto. He admitted that. That's described in my interview with Percy. I also interview the writer of the Christopher Walken film, and Percy's son. So you can go to the Percy Smicer page in honor of this beautiful man oh. who I had seen. I ran into him all over the world. He was one of the few people that traveled to more countries speaking on GMOs than I did. He told me he ended up traveling to 150 countries, not speaking in all of them, but he was quite prolific. And a beautiful man whose canola was contaminated by passing trucks and nearby farms. And he was sued by Monsanto because he was growing their intellectual property, even though he never bought it, planted mm. it intentionally, 
or used Roundup. The, the, the Christopher Walken film, was is a pretty good film? I mean, it's worth watching? Yeah. They, it do, they did a good job. What's the name of it? Uh, Percy versus Goliath. Oh, Percy versus Goliath. I haven't seen it. I love Christopher Walken. He, he's great, too, right? So. Was it Percy versus Goliath or was it David versus Monsanto? I think it was... You know, if you go we'll to my it. page, uh, uh, Responsible Technology, if you go to the Percy page... You'll find it. Then I have a link to the film and a link to the trailer. And you, you, you spoke with the writer, so he really dug into this thing, huh? the folk, the oh, fellow yeah. that wrote the screenplay. Yeah. For years, for years. I bet we got so. Some in, we got some inside information in our interview. Mm-hmm. And of course, it was fun teaching, speaking to Percy's son, uh, because that was, you know, it was amazing. The, the per, they would call his, call his wife and hang up, or they'd say, we're going to get you, or they threatened her to her face. Um, they, they, they had all these, they, they would take the farmers that were in his community on fishing trips or bringing them to hockey shows and whatnot, and then wind them and dine them and then tell them, you know, that how terrible Percy was and that he should, he should speak out against Percy. I mean, just horrible treatments. Wow. So, um, do you know whatever happened to the movement some years ago? that Whole Foods was either going to label everything with non-GMO or put them out. What was the story there? Do you know what happened? Yes. By 2018, they were supposed to <clears throat> require yeah, right. that all of their products be certified organic or be verified by the non-GMO project. Otherwise, it would be labeled GMO. GMO. And, yeah, but unfortunately, the head of, the then head of Whole Foods was not anti-GMO. John Mackey. was in favor. Yeah. And um, in spite of internal fighting going on, uh, they decided to drop it. Their excuse was that the USDA had come up with their labeling plan, and they didn't want to create two different versions of a labeling plan, one for Whole Foods and one for the country. Uh-huh. But the labeling plan that was created by the USDA is a complete facade. It was basically written by Monsanto, and nearly all GMOs pass through the cracks. And even if you have GMOs and you're supposed to be labeled, you can get away with putting a QR code on the package that doesn't say anything until you bring your smartphone and scan it and then go to the website and try and find out the answer. Hmm. So it, it, gives, it gives companies an opportunity to hide the information, but most of them are simply uh, loopholed in so that there's no need to label anything i've known john mackey not we're not dear friends but i've known him for 25 years you know in austin where i actually worked for the original whole foods the first one wow yeah years ago i was a checker there when they fired me from a radio station for being off the reservation too far but i didn't know that mackey was i didn't know that he was like i didn't realize that he was not against gmo foods what's up with that i have to to talk with that boy Talk with him. I, I actually would love if if you want to do me a favor. Yes, sir. I will introduce introduce me to John Mack. I will and allow me to give my evidence because that's what I've been doing for twenty five years is gathering yeah. the evidence. I'm sure you'll fly to Austin to do that, right? Oh, you kidding? You kidding? Second and second. Yeah. No I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to I'll clip this out, this piece, this video, and I'm going to send it to him. 
Maybe, you know, we started something here. I mean, he's a good man. I love the guy. He's, he's a terrific guy. I, you know, he's a libertarian. I don't know him at all. I have no... Yeah, he's a, he's a great he's a guy. Yeah, great guy. I have no, no opinion of him personally, but I do know the evidence about GMO food safety. It's there. And I can tell you that, I can tell you that the animals that were fed GMO had premature deaths, tumors, cancer, potentially precancerous cell growth, smaller brains, livers, and testicles, partial atrophy of the liver, damaged immune system, changed hormones, all of these things from animals that were fed GMOs that were not sprayed with Roundup. The animals that were sprayed with eating Roundup in their food had even more problems. And so right now, a lot of the foods that are being sold in Whole Foods are linked to dozens of diseases. They're linked in a number of ways. We can look at the at the correlational charts, which don't prove anything on their own, where the increased use of GMOs in Roundup is exactly the same slope as the increase of these diseases, autism, diabetes, all these different diseases. You can look at the clinical research and the survey research that when people get off of GMOs and switch to organic, they get better from these or similar diseases. But beyond that, you can also look at the animal feeding studies the animals that were force-fed this information suffered from the precursors to those diseases. And we now have an understanding of what the modes of action are of glyphosate, for example, as we discussed earlier, in some cases GMOs, and they provide plausible causative pathways that can explain why these diseases are linked to the foods. And there's enough information so that when I give this information at medical conferences, then we've convinced tens of thousands of doctors to prescribe organic diets. And you've been at this a long time, Jeffrey. I mean, you're not just making this stuff up, right? Just <laughs> oh no, please. I'm one of those people that are on the list of Monsanto to attack. So I have to be double check and triple check because they use actually checkbook science. We know that they rigged their research. Sure. I've exposed it in dozens and dozens of pages and reports. Uh, and there's some really cool stories that came out of the recent Roundup trials, how they wanted to show that Roundup wasn't absorbed into human skin. So they took human cadaver skin, baked it in an oven, then froze it, then applied the Roundup, and it didn't, it didn't get absorbed. So they reported that result to the EPA. But if they had done it the right way, which they actually did, it absorbed more than three times the legal limit, and it would never have been registered. Wow. So they completely cooked the books. And yet, those, those scientists that, that do the research that I quote are actually real scientists, so we have to be very careful of our, of our yes, reporting. Sir. And as you know, these days, we're becoming more and more aware of how you know, all these peer-reviewed studies, so-called peer-reviewed, you pay enough peers and you get whatever you want, man. Just pay, pay well, the peers, right? My, Monsanto, Monsanto <laughs> admitted in their data that was made available because of these trials that they had ghostwritten at least two studies where they did the study themselves and paid scientists to put their names on it. Hmm. In fact, I debated on the, on the TV show, The Doctors, I debated uh, a Monsanto toxicologist in 2015 after the World Health Organization declared glyphosate a probable human carcinogen. And she said, oh, she's very confident in the safety of the chemical. Because millions of pages of documents were made public on the lawsuit two years later, I went back and I found out that she was one of the ghostwriters. She took out 
evidence that glyphosate was linked to miscarriages. She took her name off the page. She took Monsanto's name off the page. And in other memos, she acknowledged that glyphosate or Roundup was linked to, or could be linked to some of the deaths of animals, tumors, etc., And that she, she couldn't say that Roundup wasn't linked to uh, cancer and told that to another employee. So I sent that information to a producer of the doctors and said, Donna Farmer from Monsanto lied on television when I was on with her in 2015. So they invited her and me back. She said, no, I went on with the lawyer who ended up winning these lawsuits. And we were on for an entire hour. Wow. Blasting Monsanto with real data. Wow. What do you make? Some of these lawsuits are beginning to be, get, get become victorious for people suing Monsanto. Oh, no, they're, they're great. Um, There's three lawsuits. Lots of them, right? Three lawsuits where the where the juries determined that Roundup caused the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma of the plaintiff, and the juries awarded huge punitive damages because they were aware of how Monsanto manipulated the evidence, lied about their research, threatened scientists, paid off. Was just, I mean, even my name was was brought in as as how they tried to treat me. That was part of the evidence, really, both in the trial and also in the final in the final uh, closing arguments. So the juries were so angry that by the third jury, the juries awarded a couple punitive damages of $2 billion. Yes. Now the, the judge reduced it dramatically, but now there's like uh, 125,000 or more plaintiffs. And so there's settlements going on by Bayer who bought Monsanto and they're sorry that they did. <laughs> Boy, they must be. I think, did they pay like 55 billion cash or some crazy amount? Six, 63 billion. <laughs> and they must have meetings nowadays say, what were we thinking? I mean. Oh, I mean, the, there was a, there's this lawsuit by shareholders. The chairman of the board had to resign. There was a vote of no confidence two years ago or a year ago. It was, I mean, they're under a lot of pressure because uh, I, I even, I mean, I tried to get them not to buy Monsanto. I, I wrote something that was picked up in in, um, in a financial website, and I listed eight reasons why. Mm -hmm. And the cancer linked to glyphosate was just one of them. I mean, there's so many liabilities that were hidden from view illegally, in my opinion, by Monsanto, kept from the shareholders or kept from the bare uh, brass to the shareholders. So. You had alluded to earlier, Jeffrey, the idea that let the market forces work and see what happens. So it's, you think it's possible someday that, that Monsanto, owned by Bayer, will just give this up because they just can't afford to keep it going? I mean, what do you do with all these GMO soybeans and cotton and all that stuff? I mean, how would you give up on that? It's almost like a religion now, isn't it? You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, when you eat, when you take a lot of antibiotics, the bacteria becomes immune to it and sure. you have antibiotic resistance. Right. It's the same thing with herbicides. With the overuse of Roundup, then weeds become resistant. There's oh, Roundup resistant weeds on half of the acres in the United States. So what they're doing is they're providing GMOs that are now resistant to a combination of herbicides, which they sell as a cocktail, but pretty soon the, they're going to be resistant to those. And so they're going to end up with super weeds which you can't kill unless you create absolutely nasty, super toxic mixtures. But that's what's happening now. So 
even without those of us who are trying to get the word out, the chemical and biological reaction to those chemicals is making a big difference. Also, there's more evidence of the health dangers emerging so that they become liable for more and more diseases. You know, their, their price tag for the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma link to Roundup is probably going to end up at about 12 to billion dollars at a minimum, or 13 at a minimum. But there's a lot of diseases that haven't yet been uh, prosecuted. Been then linked, right? And they can link them up. Yeah. All right. Yes. So again, do you think they'll ever just give up on it someday? Possible? Well, there's a, there's a lot of resistance by, there's communities now. If you go to rounduprisks.com, you can find out how to kick Roundup out of your of the toolbox from your city council and your county mm. council. It's happening all over the country. Mm. Um, there's major garden stores that are not selling it. Bear just announced because they did not get an acceptance by a judge for a certain way of, of preempting future lawsuits. They're thinking about withdrawing it from garden centers in the United States. It was being kicked out of Germany and Mexico and France. So it's happening, it's still, the most widely used herbicide in the world. Um, and the fight goes on because they capture regulatory agencies. The documents were made public from the lawsuits showing that they ran lapdogs in the EPA working on their behalf. Yes, sir. Is it true, I, I read or heard somebody told me that Mexico has a plan to not let GMOs in and they're not going to grow them anymore? Is that true? Well, Mexico was not supposed to grow GMO corn at all, but they just said they're not going to allow GMO corn imports from the United States and they're not going to allow uh, Roundup or glyphosate to be used. Now, the U.S. government put a lot of pressure on Mexico. Yes. Those emails were revealed. It was the corporations working with the U.S. government and they're trying to say, we can't supply you with corn that you need. But the non-GMO producers are saying, no problem. We got. We have all you need. So Mexico will get what they want. They tried to pressure the president, and he did not capitulate. So after one round of pressure, Mexico is still going non-GMO. And this was recently too. This is under the Biden administration, right? The so-called progressives. Yeah. Yeah. Progressive. Yeah. yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. I mean, basically, <laughs> all, all. Um, Presidents, all administrations since Reagan have been lockstep with Monsanto. Yes, sir. Boy, they must have Jeffrey. They must be so swampy and intertwined with the <laughs> with the USDA. I, you don't even want to think about it, man. I mean, no, I'm no, sure I, you've I've experienced. Actually, I'm sure you've experienced. I have it. thought about it. I have thought about <laughs> it, Patrick, and I can tell you, you know, the two former administrators of the EPA were on Monsanto's board. The U.S. Trade Representative was on Monsanto's board. The former Monsanto attorney became the person in charge of GMO policy at the FDA, Jeez. then Monsanto's vice president, then the U.S. food czar. Um, and we could talk about it all over the world. I've talked, I've, I've interviewed scientists who are on the minority of the, of the evaluation committee of GMOs for their country. The majority was put in there basically by the industry and they rubber stamp all the approvals and don't even look at the data of the damage. So. The capturing of regulatory agencies, of, of ministries, is happening all over the world. It's happened for years, and I document this. Mm -hmm. Is it true that Mr. Putin, that 
that rascal that he's a he's anti-GMO stuff? Is that true? They do not. They are. They have a much stronger anti-GMO position. They say we don't need GMOs. Um, so yeah, they're years ago. It hasn't. It's not. A, it's probably still held, as far as I know, where they don't allow GMOs brought into the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then there is a big GMO labeling law in Europe that's very good, isn't it? So in Europe, you have to label GMOs, but you don't have to label milk and meat and eggs from animals that have been fed GMOs, yeah. which is that, the loophole. So most problem. of the yeah. animal feed, yeah, most of the animal feed that's fed to the animals that are end up on the plates in Europe are is GMO. Yeah. But um, because of the labeling requirements for the other products, very very few products contain GMOs. Consumers don't want them. So I think it's important that I, I, I was interviewing Stephanie Seneff again, you know her, and she's great. And uh, but she, we were talking about, you know, that I would I would eat foods, some of them that was non-GMO. And then she kind of explained to me that, no, that's not good because you don't know what they're spraying on the plant, right, to dry it out. And that could be full of glyphos. And it's like. I didn't even yes, get exactly. that, and I've been in this business for 40 years. I'd say, whoa, wait a minute. I'm, I think I missed that part. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Mean, I mean, I love the non-GMO project, but that's sure. not good enough. It's not good enough. Because you can have a non-GMO project verified loaf of bread or bowl of oatmeal. And what does it mean? You can have a lot of glyphosate. So it means there's no GMO. Well, it means there's very little or no GMOs in them, but it doesn't mean that there's no chemicals. So we're back to organic, right? I mean, that's really what Whole Foods needs to do if they really want to get on top of their game, man. Just sell organic food. Yeah, in fact, what's unfortunate about Whole Foods at this point is that they have eliminated a lot of their organic offerings. They're, they're hot really? bars. I don't know if they're, they're not. Yeah, um, a, lot of, a lot of times it's, it, it's not very easy to, fu- to really fill up uh, an organic there. Um, the hot bar, when that was available before the pandemic, had very, very few um, organic choices, and some of the stuff was GMO. Um, the only organic stuff they had was the salad bar, generally, where the you where get the organic, vegetables were. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That was the uncooked stuff. But they, um, when Amazon purchased Whole Foods, they ended up reducing their uh, variety dramatically because of the way they handled inventory. They just put everything on the shelves which meant that there was fewer items on the shelves. And so they eliminated a lot of the organics. Uh, It's been very disappointing for those of us who are concerned about our health. And the problem is that people associate Whole Foods with healthy food. Yes, sir. And yet, you know, right out in a big kiosk, they'll have a big uh, display of corn chips that are neither non-GMO nor organic. And you know that they're full of GMO corn that has been sprayed with Roundup and produces the BT toxin, which is the insecticide that can poke holes in the walls of insects to kill them in the guts and possibly in us. And it's sitting there right there and everyone buys it and eats it and get free samples. But I consider it to be a food-shaped object, not really food. Not really food. And there's canola oil everywhere, you know, in there. It's canola oil that they use in the kitchen. In the kitchen and all their soups, right? You go in the soup bar. I can't eat those because they're all, uh, you know, the ingredients, they're canola oil. Who wants that? So as I traveled around the country and I used to eat a lot at Whole Foods, I would go to the, to the uh, kitchens and I'd say, 
show me your uh, canola um, bottle. They go back, they bring it out, and it was usually non-GMO, but not always. They became, I've actually spoken to a gathering of their food service personnel, and they didn't know much about GMOs, and they didn't really have an understanding. They all said they wanted more information. I passed that on to Austin, and I don't think anything happened. Um, But uh, I think now that the canola that's used in Whole Foods is in the kitchens are uniformly non-GMO. That's the policy, whether it's true or not. Per store, you can check. Um, that still doesn't mean that everything on the hot bar is even non-GMO, and it's certainly not organic. And as we said before, even non-GMO or canola oil can have glyphosates in there, which we know are dangerous because it's not organic, correct? That's- Right. So there and, we are. We're so back to organic again, Mr. Jeffrey. I mean, there we are. What are we going to do? I mean. What we're going to do is we're going to eat organic. The thing is you and I and those organic. And so here's the thing. I want to encourage people. If you, like, if you want to be convinced to spend the money and the time to eat organic, watch the movie Secret Ingredients. Secret Ingredients. And if you're already, if you're already convinced, but you have that relative, that spouse or daughter or parent that you just can't convince, show them the film. We know that it works. We know it's it's extremely potent because you can see the changes in the people who go organic and we explain hmm. in beautiful other animations what happens to the body when it's exposed to GMOs and Roundup and it's not pretty. And, and you have the doctors in there saying, what you're seeing on the screen with these dozen or so people that's not just one off. They they represent what happens in our practice every day. Yes. Moreover, when people go organic and then they slip and start eating what they used to eat, their symptoms start to return and then they gain full validation that it was the change in the food that made them better. And that's called Secret Ingredients and that would be at uh, Protect Nature. Secret Ingredients movie. <laughs> I would go secretingredientsmovie.com. Okay, we'll put website. we'll put that link on our thing too. Well, you're fun to talk to. I mean, it's great. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been a long time. I'll but, see if but I, I but I got I got to say this. What? I got to say we've been putting it off. I've been pushing to the end about the microbes. Oh yeah, I was going to okay. I was going to just talk about yeah, no, let's do the microbes, but let's start with are they really they whoever they are? Are they are they going to genetically engineer mosquitoes because they're going to? I mean, what's up with they're that? They're already released. What's up with they that? They released 144,000 genetically engineered mosquitoes in key in the Keys in the Florida Keys, and they're designed uh, to reduce the population of the Aedes aegypti mosquito, which carries Zika and dengue. But truthfully, <laughs> you're going to end up with some of the biting females. And they never tested the full composition of the saliva of these genetically engineered insects. And when you get bitten by a mosquito, the saliva enters your blood. So that's one thing that you don't want to happen. Second, the mosquitoes are going to end up breeding with the non-GMO mosquitoes, changing the gene pool forever, which happened in Brazil when they released their similar mosquitoes down there. So you're going to change the nature of nature in ways that you can't predict, and you're putting all the people at risk who are in the area from getting bitten by those mosquitoes. Oh, good. And then, of course, the mosquitoes can end up in the water 
and the dogs can mm -hmm. drink the water and end up mosquitoes. So now you have genetically engineered mosquitoes' bodies, which could be full of toxins or allergens. And so it's like a little bug, but it's part of a big ecosystem. Okay, before we go, so let's talk about microbes. So um, tell us the broad strokes of what's going on in the world of microbes that we need to understand so we could help stop. All right, I'll say this. The easiest way is to go to protectnaturenow.com and invest 16 minutes. In 16 minutes, you're gonna hear about the, the, the avian flu we talked about earlier that could decimate the global population if it escaped. But you'll also hear about a bacteria that was nearly released that could have theoretically ended terrestrial plant life on the planet. Whoa. Another one that could have altered weather patterns theoretically on the planet and also how the microbiome is so important for our health Yes. that if you release a microbe anywhere on the planet that's genetically engineered that did not co-evolve with the current microbiome and with human beings, it can travel around the world, mutate, replicate, and swap genes with all sorts of other microbes causing damage or collapse of ecosystems and problems for human health that could be devastating. So what this means is we now have a technology that's so cheap, you can buy a do-it-yourself gene editing kit to gene edit microbes on Amazon for $169. We could end up creating hundreds of thousands or millions of GMO microbes in this generation, any one of which can be like a genetic time bomb. So our Protect Nature Now campaign has a way for people to participate to get information to elected officials, to get information to local reporters in just a few moments. You click and send our white paper, to click and send our legislative report, to click and send the film. And, and we're doing that, we've reached over 2,000 elected officials, over 1,300 reporters. So after watching the film, go to the advocacy platform and make a real difference because this generation sees that we have arrived at an inevitable time in human civilization where we can redirect the streams of evolution for all time and that the microbiome is the most sensitive and the most dangerous set of kingdoms to genetically engineer. So we need to lock that down urgently. And so this would be secret ingredients in 16 minutes you're talking about. No, 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 this no. is, no, no, this is, don't let the gene out of the box. Don't let the gene out of the box. Okay. And that's uh, also, uh, that's it, protectnaturenow.com. Protect nature now. Don't let the gene out of the bomb. Man, it's not a nice that's investment. The, that's the, that is our current focus, yeah. Remember the, remember the butter commercial? Uh, not nice to mess with Mother Nature? Remember that one? Thank you for that. I love that. <laughs> it's like, not nice to mess well, with you, Mother you, you and I share a long history of, of, of popular culture that we can reference. I know. We Thank can, you for that. We can go back. Yeah, we can go back. Well, why don't you move here to Texas because everybody else is, Jeffrey. I mean, come on, just come on. <laughs> everybody, come on down. We're <laughs> out there in California. Land. Well, I'm enjoying my time in California, but I used to, for 13 years, I traveled six to nine months a year, so it didn't matter where I lived. Yeah, I lived wow. in Iowa at that time. Um, but uh, soon we'll be traveling again. But these days I'm doing a lot of summits, medical summits, more than 50 of them, hmm. because the GMOs, and the non-organic food are related to almost every disease. So I, I focused, for example, on gastrointestinal problems. We, we surveyed 3,256 people 
who could describe getting better from 28 different conditions when they switched to non-GMO and largely organic food, and 85% of them said they got better in digestive problems, which is consistent with the show of hands that we've seen at 150 lectures, where, where the majority, the biggest response for getting better was digestive problems. Sure. But the digestion is, the, is, the, is like the doorway to all these other problems. Sure. So we have people getting rid of getting, losing weight, getting rid of anxiety and depression, overcoming allergies, asthma, diabetes, gluten sensitivity, autism, infertility, all these things. And so we're actually now helping all of these people in these different disease groups link them to, to what they're suffering from, what they're eating. And you've seen studies and your experience, anecdotal and otherwise, Jeffrey, that, that uh, the GMO connection to uh, autistic spectrum is there. Well, you interviewed Stephanie Seneff, and I want to oh, quote a few her times, experience. Yeah. yeah, a few times. Yeah. All right, so, so Stephanie is an expert at big data analysis, took down all of the physiological changes that are available on the net for what happens with an autistic child or person, and looked at and could tell from there why they experienced the symptoms, but couldn't explain the environmental impact that caused those changes and then brought down all the data and all these different chemicals and none of them fit until she went to a lecture by a friend of mine, Professor Don Huber, yes. who described glyphosate. And Stephanie told me she was sitting on the edge of her chair because she had never heard of glyphosate before, but it fit perfectly. Then when she did a correlational analysis with Dr. Nancy Swanson and looked at glyphosate exposure to these autistic six-year-olds over the previous four years, the correlation was 0.9975 or something. A correlation of one is perfect. Wow. And this was 0.9975. So if you look at this chart, it's nearly a perfect slope. But it's that's just correlation. She points out the plausible causative pathways between glyphosate and the minerals and the gut bacteria and the sulfates and the sulfites and all that. So she has a theory that could explain it. But I have so much evidence of talking to parents of autistic children who switched to organic and they, they improved or actually left the spectrum altogether. So I do think it's related based on a lot of evidence. And I think a new book, what's the name of that new book? It's, it's going to come out. Our Toxic Legacy. Our Toxic Legacy, uh, July 1st, a few days, and a week from now. Folks could get that book. Yes, yes. Our toxic legacy. She's a trip, isn't she? She's just a wonderful, just a really geeky man. She's she's right there, man. It's like whoa. <laughs> so I interviewed her. I, I think my interview with her from years ago kind of launched her. It was huh. then picked up by Mercola. People didn't know who she was. But what we did is, I was I was interviewing her, and everything she said in geek terms, I was translating into metaphors and stories. Good. Real time. So people were getting what she was saying. I was stopping her every, every two minutes and saying, this, so let me see if I have this right, and restating it. Anyway, you've got a quarter of a million views. It's doing well. Oh, that's great. Well, so are you. You're doing a good job there, brother. Thank you, Patrick. And I want to say, your knowledge of this is so, is so in-depth and so current. It's like I've been interviewed a thousand times, and it is rare to find an interviewer that is as knowledgeable to the details as you are. So thank you for that. Oh, you're very nice. Yeah, I, you know, I, 
I just listen, you know. Thanks. <laughs> My pleasure, sir. All right. Take care of yourself. You stay under the radar. Stay out of trouble now. And uh, you, you let us know if there's anything we can do to help you. All right, too. Well, I'd like to, now that you say that, you reminded me of something that I forget all too much. We're a nonprofit, 501c3. If you go to Protect Nature now, please make a donation, and ideally on a recurring monthly basis so we can know it's coming and hire people on, on, with that in knowledge. Because we have to create a global campaign. We're building a new global movement to stop the release of GMO microbes. It's going to be a multi-million dollar project, and it has to happen right away. And we are completely fueled by donations. So $5, $10, a month. anything you can yeah, afford. Do it so much a month. Yeah. I like that monthly thing, too, because at least you can get an idea if you can hire more people. Well, we got this much coming in every month, so let's, exactly. you know, let's get somebody else. Exactly. Good job. All right. All right, we'll do that. We'll talk about it. Thanks a lot, sir. Take care of yourself. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. May the blessings be. Bye. Patrick Timpone along with Jeffrey Smith. Thank you for listening to Live Healthy, Be Well. Please subscribe to the podcast using whatever app you listen to podcasts with. Or go to livehealthybewell.com to subscribe. This podcast will inform you about health dangers, corporate and government corruption, and ways we can protect ourselves, our families, and our planet. I interview scientists, experts, authors, whistleblowers, and many people who have not shared their information with the world until now. Please share the podcast with your friends. It will enlighten and may even save lives. Safe eating.